Welcome, everybody, to Spiratics by Sideline Sports Network. Appreciate y'all coming on. Obviously, everybody's still in celebration mode. Um, it is just Monday. Uh, Saturday was uh, oh, probably one of my favorite days of all times, I must say. Watching UM just quit after the very first touchdown of the game um, to Pokey Wilson was – Absolutely amazing. You could watch the sideline just completely deplete after he scored that touchdown. The bomb was thrown. The bomb went off as soon as he crossed the goal line, and I pretty much think from that point Miami gave up. They were done. They didn't want to play anymore, did not want to be in the stadium. Uh, we truly turned it into Doak South. There was no doubt about it. Trey Benson had – one of the best games uh, of his career, if not the best game of his career, and not just at Florida State. That's also including at Oregon. Uh, he didn't have much of a career at Oregon. Um, thought it was awesome that he got to do it in front of his former coach in Mario Cristobal. Um, it was absolutely awesome. But before we get into things, everybody, this podcast is brought to you by Game Day Vodka. If you are 21 years of age or older, you can go and order Game Day Vodka from their website at gamedayvodka.com. Um, they are the – they are – I think it's nine – yeah, it's nine colleges that they're the official vodka for and eight NFL teams that they're, they are the official vodka for. So if you're not – a Florida State fan and you don't want the garnet and gold bottle, um, go check and see if your team's one of them that they are the official vodka for. But this is what the garnet and gold one looks like. There is, let's see if they've got it on here. So it's six times distilled. It also says it's gluten-free. Um, I don't know if there's any vodka that isn't gluten-free. Don't know much about that. I do know that the way that they distill it is patented. It is a new way of, of distilling um, vodka or alcohol, period. Um, and Game Day also has their own bourbon, and they also have their own seltzer. The seltzer is completely different from any seltzer that you've ever had because it's actually a fruit juice with their vodka. It's not a malt liquor like thing so anyways it's really good uh, go check them out and try it we are going to jump just head first into the florida state miami game here's the crazy part other than talking about a whole lot of good from what florida state did i'm not exactly sure how to break this game down because there's not much to break down it is insane to me that we won a game 45 to 3 and jordan travis only had to throw the ball 12 times that's I mean, this was probably one of the most vanilla game plans I've ever seen. And for us to dominate the way that we did, that means we just out – we were just out physical. We were – it looked like we were out talenting that team, um, head and shoulders above that team. Um, but I do want to start off with Taylor. How wild is it that now for the past two or three games, I think it's two – um, that fits as 100 for 100 on field goals and extra points. Yeah, and, and you kind of said it just right. I mean, he's 100%. Um, a lot of the Florida State fans were kind of cautious in Fitz's performance. 
Uh, they kind of understood that he was going through some struggles. They didn't think anything was going to go through. They thought Mike Norvell needed to go to a walk-on kicker. And now after the Wake Forest game, he's five for five. He's made all of his extra points. He's done what he needed to do. And you gave him that confidence booster at the end of the first half. You gave him that 41-yarder to make it uh, 31 to three there. And you gave him some opportunities to be successful. You don't put him in high-pressure situations, kind of like I talked about before. I think Fitz has the responsibilities to be able to be a great kicker uh, and be able to get his technique down. And you're seeing that once he gets that three-step technique drop, um, you're starting to see more confidence building from that. Even even uh, James had talked about it before. It's a mental kind of game with kickers, and you have to understand that. You can't just give up on them because really, in, in actuality, you really don't have anything else on the roster. So what are you trying to accomplish? Are you trying to put a true freshman walk-on kicker in there, or are you actually trying to stick with your guy and stick it out? Now, earlier on, Mike Norvell was trying to figure out different scenarios. So he was trying to be able to – maybe go forward on fourth and seven at their own 35, you know, at their 35 yard line, you know, because he couldn't really kick a 47, 48 yard field goal. Now you're getting to a situation where you're feeling that little bit more confidence in Ryan Fitzgerald. And I think it's huge because the end of the season, you're going to need him against Syracuse, against Florida, and even against in your bowl game. I think that's very important. And I'm very, very glad to see that Mike Norvell kind of like the, the altercation that he had with Deuce Fan. He believes in his players and he understands even when it goes through hard moments like that, Fitzgerald kind of gave, broke through in that situation, and now you're starting to see the fruits of the labor paying off. Well, I completely agree with – I think Norvell and the staff's doing a great job about now putting him in high-pressure situations. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, in the Miami game, there was never <laughs> a high-pressure moment. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it could have been – we've could have – we've. There was opportunities we could have put Fitz in a bad situation um, against Georgia Tech, even though we handled them well. We still could have put him in situations that weren't particularly well for a kicker at that moment. So I think that the staff's done a good job. Um, I personally like what Norvell did with Deuce Band coming off the side. When he came off the field to the sideline, that's coaching. And, you know, a lot of people look at it. You can obviously read his lips of what he's saying. They act like – that he was jumping the kid and, and he wasn't. He was telling him that we don't do that. Don't do that. It's not, you know, and I think that the kid just needed a minute. Maybe he didn't want to be hit as soon as he got off of the field. Give him a second to process what he just did. He's probably beating himself up pretty good already. And then the head coaches jumped on him and then you got other teammates grabbing him and stuff to that nature. I can see the frustration. The great part was Norvell didn't, allow that to stop the conversation. He continued the conversation to make sure that Deuce was calm and he calmed down and then put him right back out on the next series. And I will say this too, because Jermaine Johnson had posted about it on Twitter. He posted the same comment, just saying that a lesson I'm grateful for learning in a similar situation in practice. What is your response when things don't go your way? You're a better player and a person when you make sure your response never succumbs to your emotions negatively. So when you look at that and you understand that a first-round draft pick is basically telling you that he had a similar situation in that regard, he understands that Coach Norvell is that kind of coach for him. I think that sets a message to some of these transfers that are coming in for this this upcoming season and also the recruits. So it doesn't do anything harm. You're seeing even when it's 38-3, to he is getting after Deuce Fan and understanding that he has to control his emotions. And what did he do when he come right back out? He gave him a play right back through with the reverse sweep. 
I think that was really important to get him back in the game plan, get him focused, get him readjusted. And I think that was really important for this uh, culture at Florida State going forward there. Absolutely. Uh, Chip, what was your thoughts on the defensive play? I mean, you, you don't have to go into great detail. Uh, you can if you want. But what was your what was your outlook on how the defense played? It was it was lights out. The the push up front was by far the best we've seen all season. Um, nobody Miami threw out there at quarterback could handle the rush. Had time to really go through their progressions. Of course, the the hurricane showed pretty much all year they don't have a receiver worth going through the progressions. But um, they disrupted everything. Um, that Miami threw, tried to throw at us. And then plus our, our DBs, um, our defensive backfield played by far, hands down, the best game they've played all year. Um, so hats hat off to uh, our DC, uh, Coach Fuller. That that was amazing. Um, you couldn't ask for a better better outcome and uh, showing than what the defense showed out for that game. Agreed. Uh, James, I know that you did um, a watch party at your cigar lounge. Um, I saw you cutting up pretty good on – I guess there was about 10 minutes left in the third quarter when you went live. Um, what was your what was your favorite part of the game? I, I will say this. And I think James is going to probably allude to that Jamie Robinson – uh, with Shakuri Brown uh, kind of taking him to the ground and kind of showing what that Miami-Florida State rivalry is all about. I think that really showcases just the importance of even when Florida State is up big in a contest, they still kind of exert their dominance. And that's what Coach Nermo talked about at the uh, halftime report. He talked about how he just wanted to dominate and destroy and get their will out of this game. And I think you understood that. Well, you know, for years, it's, you know, we've seen that poster of uh, a picture of Marvin Jones, Shadetree, laying out the Miami receiver. This can now replace that because Jamie gave him a who's your daddy moment. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm very impressed with, you know, Ja'Kuri Brown. I, I think he did some nice things. Uh, I don't want to harp on the kid too much because I do think he is a viable running threat. Um, he completed his first pass on Saturday um, while it was uh, Restrepo that – took a helicopter spin of a, of a third down conversion there to pick it up. But uh, he did show some fight in there. Now the fumble with Jared verse um, picking it up there at the end was not a good look after the Jamie Robinson um, situation there. But um, you know, just overall, I think Florida State really asserted their dominance against a quarterback that didn't really feel it too comfortable in the passing lane so far. And I think that was really important for Florida State to take advantage there. Do, do you feel like that Miami wasn't comfortable with passing the ball due to the quarterback or due that Miami just can't get separation on the outside or with wide receivers, period? Well, I think Restrepo was the guy they thought was going to be really efficient there. But once you started seeing – and you didn't even hear Will Mowry's name come up in the conversation in that game. I mean, Colby Young, I think, had a catch, maybe two catches. It wasn't anything special. So, I mean – their weapons are just completely taken out. And when you saw a non-healthy Tyler Van Dyke literally hurt his throwing shoulder again when it was non-contact like that, um, he wasn't ready to be put out there. And that was kind of the concern I thought going in. I thought there was going to be a situation where Florida State was going to have to defend against that. 
that's why I thought Miami was going to be able to score 17 points. I thought there was going to be some kind of semblance of an offense, and there was not. So we'll definitely see. But, I mean, overall, you saw what Jake Garcia did. Uh, Adam Fuller actually utilized a zone defense uh, with Greedy Vance. I was kind of impressed and and just kind of uh, out there whenever they utilized that. So uh, at least they know how to use something other than man at this point. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if y'all seen the quote or the comments from Mario Cristobal. Now, I'm, I'm assuming this is from today, but uh, Cristobal on missed tackles issues against FSU. He said tackling is technique and physicality. Some guys showed up really, really well, and some guys just did not. This is one of our running backs at Oregon. Just to put in perspective of the caliber of teams we are used to building, tackling and physicality is a mentality. So he's trying to take credit for our running back, not not his used to be running back, but our running back on being able to cause other teams to not be able to tackle him and stuff of that nature. If I'm not mistaken, Trey Benson had 22 yards total under Mario Cristobal, if I'm yep. not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Fourth string running back. His fourth string so, running back at Oregon. Um, and – it's just amazing. Um, I'll give you I'll give Miami people this. They are they are spin masters. If you remember last year, fourth and 14, Jordan Travis does very well, shows us exactly why the NIL is important and why Florida State can compete. And they go and they make fourth and 14 shirts saying if it wasn't for this, they wouldn't have been able to get Mario Cristobal. Um, the beautiful thing about receipts is everybody's pulling up about how this is supposed to be a 10-win team. They're supposed to go to the ACC championship. They're supposed to do all these different things. Well, there's some, like they spin everything. And this is what – and I apologize because it's only one way I can really describe um, Mario uh, Mario Diaz is, is this line-ass Cuban spins <laughs> everything um, to, his, to his defense. I mean – Talks about the physicality. Talks about, like, I made this guy. I'm proud of this guy beating my behind. Yet, that's not one of the first calls you made when you got to Miami, knowing you could use a running back like that. You didn't do anything. You didn't even attempt to try to get that guy. And the person who I really wish would have balled out a little bit more, it just didn't, his number just wasn't called like that, would be Micah Pittman. Because Micah Pittman told everybody who Mario was. He said they're going to try to run the ball. They can't throw it. The reason why I'm leaving is because I want to get the ball, and that's why he left. So it's just – I just take your L. I, I, I hate when people do those kind of things. Yeah, well, they got to twist it into, you know, we're using their ammunition to beat them, stuff to that nature. Here's something I want to bring up. Um, I don't remember who I was talking to on the phone about this earlier, um, but – what Miami's going through right now, and I don't mean almost an exact form. We've seen this before. Unfortunately, it was Florida State that's seen it. We lose Jimbo Fisher. We go out and hire this Oregon head coach. This Oregon head coach um, is Willie Taggart. He had a losing record everywhere else. He was doing decent at Oregon because of Oregon's who they play. You are able to recruit decent in Oregon because they absolutely have every facility that you would possibly need, and they have like 700 combinations of uniforms. There are things that attract players to go to Oregon. So we go and do it. 
and it doesn't work out. We don't win a lot of games. Um, he's fired within a year and a half. Now, you should learn off of someone else's mistakes, in my opinion. Mario Cristobal has a losing record as a co- as a head coach. Um, I don't know if he does now. I'm sure he does, um, seeing how they've only won four games. But he's not a good coach. He, he has a very poor record as a head coach. He was the head coach at Oregon and was winning at Oregon for the past four to five seasons. Oregon's caliber of play, who they play, is not very well. He got beat by Utah twice in the same year. Miami hires him because he's a Miami guy. Now, there's one thing we can say about Willie Taggart. He absolutely loved and still loves Florida State University. There's no doubt about it. Mario Cristobal went to Miami as a player, as a student athlete. Only because they loved the university and only because they were there uh, doesn't mean that they're going to be the right guy for the job. So I thought Miami would be a little bit smarter by seeing that we've already done this. But I hope they keep Mario for 10-plus years, and I hope he keeps producing exactly what's being produced on the field right now. Um, Can he recruit? Yes. But if you can't develop, I don't know what good you're going to get. You're going to have a bunch of high school kids that are at their ceiling because they're not growing in any way, shape, or form. So you're going to have a bunch of high school kids that are on an extremely plain-jane offense that runs the ball 80% of the time. And it's just going to look – this is what it's going to look like for Miami, I think. Like, a lot of people think, okay, let's fire uh, Josh Gaddis or whatever his name is and get a new offensive coordinator. I don't think people realize just how much control Mario Cristobal has over that offense. It doesn't matter what offensive coordinator you have. Mario Cristobal is going to run the ball first. It is going to be a very plain game plan. It's not going to – you're not going to see something crazy no matter what offensive coordinator they go and hire. So – until Mario Cristobal can get out of his own way, which I don't see that happen. I think he's a stubborn head coach. You're going to continue to see exactly what you're seeing. He did it at Oregon. He could not beat Utah the first time running the ball. And in the second game, he knew that they could stop him, and he continued to do nothing but run the ball and beat a dead horse and lose that game again. So what are y'all's thoughts on Florida State's ability? Because y'all saw how chippy – Miami was trying to make it when they were getting their asses beat. Like they wanted to get, they wanted to get a reaction out of Florida State athletes. They wanted them to start pushing and shoving and and mouthing off. Uh, I was pretty impressed with the discipline of our guys. James, what were your thoughts as far as discipline goes for our guys? Um, I was very impressed. Um, very few penalties in general. Um, we have had some, even when we beat down Georgia Tech, a ton of penalties. Um, that this past four game stretch outside of Clemson is very, very undisciplined. But but seeing how they did against that, knowing the emotions of this game, it kind of just shows where Mike Mike Norville actually has this team as, in regards to listening to him. It's one thing to get your personal fouls like every now and then, like a like a targeting or something like that, a, a false start. But like to go and have somebody put like what what they did to CJ Campbell. Um, I can't remember his name, but he was a top uh, – excuse me, Tyreek Stevenson. Him coming to talk to trash, dude, you're down. You're down 35-3 to three at this point or something like that. You, j- just shut up and, and jog back to your huddle. 
No response is sometimes the best response. Then you go out and you just score a touchdown on it behind the next play. So I think that's kind of where you got it. And it goes down to the – I hate culture when it comes to saying from a coach's perspective, but culture of a fan base. A fan base that, that takes pride in, oh, we're not going to win the game on the field, but we'll win it in the stands. A, a fan base that takes pride in stuff that you should not really – as an adult, you should not take pride in. Um, we could be tough. We could not be punks, but it's at a certain point we're coming to be entertained. And this is what the fan base prides as manhood, prides as being physically dominant. It's stuck, as I was telling a guy, if you listen to my live who was there at my own cigar lounge, you guys are stuck in the 80s. It's not the 80s anymore. We're, it's, a, it's a new brand of ball. It's a new brand of way we got to live our lives. You, you, you go out there and play physical. Bama doesn't have to physically – talk trash or be something to somebody. You would think that Mario would know that having been under Saban for a little while, but it's, um, I'm just proud of it. Um, cause it got us to a situation where we didn't, we didn't take ourselves out of, out of the game. And, and we were able to just go out there physically whip some butt. Taylor question. Look, so it was, it was the situation where, um, I want to say Robert Scott had just got a false start penalty on him, or maybe it was a holding call. Hmm. And you saw him sitting there hitting his chest and tapping his helmet, like my bad guys, Mm -hmm. um, et cetera. I don't know if people paid attention to this, but the very next play after this penalty was called, he made one of the best blocks I think Robert Scott's made at Florida State um, on this outside run for – it was a design run for Jordan Travis. And – Everybody on that offensive line and wide receivers that were, you know, in vicinity to after the play had happened, all fist bump Robert Scott. The unity, the 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 brotherhood that was shown from Florida State. What are your thoughts, and what do you what do you feel that that means for this team going forward? It's so much growth, especially with a guy like Robert Scott, who's been a little bit more inconsistent this year. Now, with the penalties and stuff like that, also Dylan Gibbons is the same way. He's been a little more inconsistent, but they don't really have a whole lot of depth. They're trying to get in guys like Joanne Armella and Jalen Early and, and younger guys like that. But with the injuries to, you know, even a Bless Harris that you thought was going to be a starter, you had Caden Lyles that you thought was going to be a quality reserve. There was just a lot of pieces that were missing. And now you're seeing that offensive line starting to gel together. You're seeing the consistency all there. And you're seeing that brotherhood that's supposed to be there from the, the time being. And you haven't seen that in past Florida State teams. Now that we're bowl eligible in six and three, we're getting a little bit more confidence in each other. You're seeing the guys fight for one another. And I even had an uh, interview with C.J. Campbell. Um, it was a Q&A that I had with him because I was talking about his touchdowns, performances, and everything like that. And he had some interesting thoughts. I mean, there was a lot of great things that were going on. And he just kind of talked about how the guys were kind of looking to response and they fight for one another. So if anybody wants to be successful in this team, they want everyone to be successful. And it's it's not just a me kind of thing. It's a it's a we at the end of the day. And I think that's something that was missing for Florida State these past couple of years. And I think you're finally starting to see it. So I think it's really just a big thing that he's getting more consistent. His draft stock's going up a little bit higher now. And you're starting to see the fruits of the labor coming through. So I'm really excited for that group and for all these players that are kind of getting involved and getting that brotherhood together. So, Chip, there was there was a comment that was – well, there was a reporter that asked a question. They asked Mario. Um, a lot of – they he, she said that a lot of the fans, Miami fans, were upset 
because it was at the time 38 to three and Florida state went ahead and punched the punched it in again, uh, put another touchdown up on the board and felt like we were running the score up. And Mario said that uh, he doesn't worry about things like that. It's, it's our job to score as far as us and it's their job to stop us. Um, and maybe the, you know, one day or not, maybe one day, uh, we'll switch shoes in that situation. Do you feel like we were just trying to run the score up and we were trying to decimate them uh, further than we already were? Because I don't personally believe that. So what are your thoughts? No, we ran the ball, what, 90% of the time when the second unit was in there. If you know They could not stop it. You still got to go out there and run your offense, except, you know, Norvell did, you know, not decide not to throw the ball. I know the first series he threw the ball with three or four times with uh <clears throat> with the backup in there, but after that, you know, it was just straight handoffs to uh, CJ Campbell, and CJ did his job. It's not our fault. Miami's defense could not stop us. Let me add to this too, and put a little context into this. Uh, it was fourth and four at the Miami twenty-six. I mean, it wasn't a gimme field goal at that end of the. I mean, it was a forty-three-yard field goal. And you've seen uh, Ryan Fitzgerald in between 40 and, and 49 yards. It's, it's not automatic at that point. Why would you put Ryan Fitzgerald in that kind of situation? You you run those simple, and I think it was a curl route they had to uh, Brian Courtney. He broke a couple of tackles and got like a 10 or 15-yard gain there. Um, that's the first action that we've seen from Brian Courtney. So if you're not able to really tackle Brian Courtney, who's been really a special teams kind of guy so far in his career, and you're having a backup quarterback and Tate Rodemaker that's throwing the ball to him, if you can't stop that, I don't I don't know what else you want them to do in that situation. I get now if if it was fourth and fifteen at the at the twenty, I mean, okay, you know, I get you might have to kick a field goal and just and just go about your day, but this is a situation where I don't think this was running up the score, nor was this if it was, I mean, good on Florida State. Uh you you basically had Miami fans that were talking about fifty two to ten from two years ago and now they're finally getting the fruits of their labor back. So I, I just don't understand that whole aspect of running up the score. And I think it was kind of a petty comment by um, Mario Cristobal as well with the whole situation about we'll get you back in, in a couple of years or however, what whatever he said. I mean, that's just kind of a situation where you just don't say that as a head coach in that situation. Well, James, like – I'm sorry, they won't because yeah. they've got the second – they got the second most talent per their roster in the ACC right now. Um, and to quote a great football coach, he's won numerous national championships and he's won numerous Super Bowls. It's not my, my, my number twos work just as hard as my number ones. I'm going to run my offense with my twos and it's your job to stop them. And it was, uh, what made the Miami Notre Dame game kind of a robbery when they did the Catholics versus the convicts. And it was just, um, great 49. 49 rushing attempts to 16 passing attempts by Florida State. 33 rushing attempts to, I believe, right around 13. No, it might be a little bit more uh, passing attempts by the University of Miami. If it's running up the score, running the ball, I don't know what to tell you, man. That's just – it's it's not my fault. That's just a terrible way to get your behind work. 
They just and running the same counter. I, I think out of those running attempts, they had like 30, 30 counters out of that. So, I mean, it wasn't like they were doing something out of the ordinary. They were running the same counter over and over and over again, and Kevin still couldn't stop it. Yeah. What I, w- what I was going to ask, which James pretty much just answered, but think about asking your number twos that are, you know, starving for playtime to come out and ask them not to compete is absolutely insanity. Like any and everyone that brings in the number twos, you want to see them compete. You want to see the fire from those guys as much as you saw it from the number one guys. So it's insane to me that anybody even – even went to that, like, that we're trying to run the score up. And I'm going to be honest with you. Be lucky that I'm not the head coach because I'd have tried to score 70 on their ass and continued to push because Miami has talked that shit for two years since they beat us 52-10. to 10. Even when they didn't beat us, they were thanking us for beating them so they could get rid of uh, the other dipshit, whatever his name is, uh, Manny Diaz. So they were thinking us last year for fourth and fourteen. Now this year, we're running the score up on them and we're being non-classy. And our our fans look. The thing that's killing me is is that there's Miami fans on Twitter right now saying that Florida State fans were being obnoxious and we weren't being classy and all of this BS. I've talked to, like, Coach Coop, which is a guy that does a Miami uh, YouTube channel. I've talked to multiple Miami people that I can somewhat talk to. And all of them said they sat right next to a Florida State fan and continuously told them it's going to get better for you guys. Don't lose hope in your team. Kind of giving them words of encouragement where they didn't expect it. They thought when the when the Florida State fans were going to turn to them, it was going to be talking a bunch of BS, which is what I would have been doing. but. Instead, Florida State fans were speaking words of encouragement. Don't give up on your, don't give up on your university. Don't give up on your coaches or this team. Uh, we know what it feels like. We've been there, but I mean, y'all did it to us in 2020. Y'all went and beat us 52 to 10. Did we complain about people running the score up? Not that, not to my knowledge. And here's the thing: Florida State was really aggressive in running the football, keeping everything simplified in what they do. I even talked to James about this in a, in a previous post that that I had. They ran the ball with the fullback on an I formation at that point. And this is a situation where they pounded the rock. They said, all right, Miami, can you stop us? They didn't do it. Uh, you, you saw the result that come from that game. I mean, this was a complete domination from start to finish. You got a little worried in Florida State's first drive when they come out there and they had the third down. Uh, it was an incomplete pass, but had the uh, defensive pass interference there allowed Florida State to get a first and 10, and you saw what happened. Um, it Just from then on, it was just kind of a complete dominance. Mike Norvell said, you know what, if you want to stop us, go ahead, but you're not going to. And it's just a shorthanded Miami team that just didn't have anything going for it. We expected that. I thought their offense was going to score a little bit more, but just overall it's just a game you should have won, and you did win by a lot. It, isn't it, shorthanded is um, – a lot of the weaknesses that Miami has – if it's like when I went on, I went on the show, and I said, "Guys, let's talk tangible. I want tangible, measurable things that you believe that you're just better than us at." And if you looked at what Miami's weakness for the last two seasons have been, under Mario and under Manny, they've been extremely thin at D tackle. 
they've had they've had issues there. So then you had a guy, one of your better ones, transfer out. You brought in Daryl Jackson from um, Maryland, but you still are relatively weak there. Defensive end position, you got some talent there, but when the chance um, Williams goes down and you got to replace him with a very talented Nigel Lee Kelly and other guys like that who are also banged up, you were already thin there, and you didn't overhaul it. You didn't do your offensive line. As much as people have picked about Florida State's offensive line the last four or five years, statistically speaking, if you go look at the University of Miami and you go look at the University of Florida's offensive lines, much better recruiting, similar results. You didn't go overhaul like what, what guys did in the offseason, what everybody picked on about picked on Mike about going into the transfer portal, doing these things, which is ironic because when Manny went into the transfer portal, you called yourself portal combat, portal boys. It's just it's just sickening. It's not fun. It's like you're either going to argue or you're not. But here's where it comes down to. And I remember this because one of the – I love good, intelligent discourse. I have no problem with analytics. I have no problem with a lot of stuff. But I also know this game. I haven't played it. And I remember last year, one of the complaints was we cannot run the ball in loaded boxes. And me and another fullback both said, the hell you can't. What is goal line? Goal line defense is literally putting 11 in the box. You can always run the numbers. And what we saw against Miami, and I remember it was uh, Brennan Sinone arguing me to his blue in the face. Um, Bud Elliott arguing me to the blue in the face. And I'm like, you guys are arguing with the guy who has ran against loaded boxes. Do you understand how crazy you sound right now? So what did we do? We ran against a loaded box. Outside of one one. One picture I got to send it to you, Chris, so that you can go post this. I'm going to send it to you too, Ted, because this is the world's got to see this picture. And there's not a man I respect in this world more than Kevin Steele when it comes to defense. But I need to know what Kevin was thinking here. The best way to describe it is they ran a three down front with a nose, a true nose. So that's a zero for people who don't understand. Head up with the center. And basically two nine techniques. So that means you literally have two gaps. Now, they have one linebacker in between to fill those two gaps, and they've got somebody loaded up on the outside of the nine technique. I have no idea. I'm, I'm guessing that's to stop the counter, to go wide or the stretch. But what you're doing is, all you're doing is, okay, I'm going to step this way. I'm going to attack this side. So now it's like a hot, a hot knife through butter. So when they were loading the box, they were loading the box kind of funky or freaky. And they just didn't want no parts. It was great body shots, body shots, body shots. If you like boxing, that's what it looked like. And our guys just physically whoop somebody. And you hope that you can build on that mentality, take it to Syracuse, take it to um, Louisiana Lafayette, take it to Florida, and whoever we play in the bowl. Because this is what they got to do now. It's not enough to just win. You got to start taking this and start building upon this so that this becomes the new attitude. Because if this would have been the attitude against Clemson, you would have made DJ Ukulele play like what he played last week against Notre Dame. You, you, if you would have played like this against um, NC State, you beat NC State. You play like this against Wake Forest, you beat Wake Forest. I don't care what you think of Miami's talent. I'm talking about the mentality and the way that they attacked these guys and were just physically dominant and bullied them. Now, I don't want to – like, that's going to be the next um, – the next phase in judging the clock. It's not a not, because again, if, if you don't, I love Mike. But the next phase is can we get our guys to consistently be badasses? 
and that's when we'll know we're great. Agreed, agreed. Chip, we've got three games left for the season. Um, we're not going to go with Louisiana Lafayette here, so I'm going to put it down to the last two. We have to go to Syracuse. We have to play in the Dome against Syracuse, who will probably be without their quarterback, Strader. And we do have the Florida Gators coming to dope. Which game's tougher and why? You know, honestly, the the Florida game now scares me after seeing them kind of put it all together and actually have a really good showing. Um, Anthony Richardson, I, I guess he might have got his eyes fixed and stopped throwing to the other team. And uh, he – he ran that. He ran that offense the way it's designed. Uh, he he looked polished in that game, and uh, yeah, uh, Syracuse being without their quarterback that's that's the first I've heard of it, and that bodes well for us. And you know, if like James said, if we come out playing like the way we against Miami, I don't think there's there's te- there's a team out there that can beat us. Agreed, Taylor, Azariah Thomas pulls off an amazing interception against Miami to pretty much put the game away. I mean, it, it was over, but seeing him make that catch, because it wasn't an easy catch, that was a difficult catch he made. What does that mean for the young guys that are on the team? And and same question that I had for Chip to follow that. Yeah, I will say this. Um, Azariah Thomas is a guy that needed a little bit more confidence. Um, they slowly integrated him into the game plan. You're seeing more consistency. You're seeing his communication getting up. And that defensive backfield, as I alluded to before, is not the strength of this team. I think there are a lot of solid guys in the rotation. I just don't know if they have a dominant corner um, in that rotation just yet. But I do think he can be one of those guys. Same thing with Sam McCall. Uh, We had that incident earlier with Sam McCall posted uh, that he was entering the transfer portal, deleted that. And uh, now, now we're kind of figuring out what's going on in that situation. Uh, Mike Novell talked about the commitments in the wide receiver room and talking about even when your number's not called, you know, and in the age of college football nowadays, you're seeing a lot of these kids transferring in and out. You're seeing them going for greener pastures when, they're, when their time is not really there yet. Um, and you have to understand as a true freshman that everything doesn't really go your way in your first year. Uh, Bryant McFadden was talking about this before in an interview with him talked about how he didn't even get his opportunity at Florida State until his junior season. It just kind of sometimes goes that way. I mean, it's not all, you know, rosy, uh, kind of flowery kind of roads there. I I think he really has to understand that. And Sam McCall, I know, is going to do a tremendous job there. And I think AZ and and McCall together, I think, are going to be something special at Florida State. I just think it's going to have to take time to go through that rotation a little bit more. But I'm super excited about AZ and his development as he goes through the rest of the season. Follow up the question that I had with uh, Chip as far as who you think the tougher game is, Syracuse or Florida? Um, Personally, I, I think this is a situation where without Schrader, um, I think Dino Babers actually followed up and said in one of his press conferences that, that it wasn't a head injury. That was the main concern. I do believe that it is a concussion head injury uh, situation there. I just don't think he's pointing it out just yet. Um, I do think that Schrader is kind of questionable for this game. They were kind of getting him close to this contest. Um, I did predict the Syracuse loss earlier in the season. I thought this would be a tough four-game stretch for them. You're seeing that now. It's a three-game losing streak at this point. Syracuse kind of lost his luster. 
Um, I think it's a better and, and kind of more difficult path for the Florida game because Del Rio is not a good quarterback for Syracuse. I don't think he's anything to, to put anything behind it. Uh, Sean Tucker is a very, very good running back, but that defense has, has a little bit of problems on its own. It's an aggressive pass rush, but it has no cornerbacks. I just think there's a lot better teams out there than Syracuse and the ACC, and you saw that with Pittsburgh. I think Pittsburgh's an average ACC team. And you're seeing Florida. They, they won against Texas A&M. They had 29 players out with the flu and suspensions and all the problems that they're going through right now. Um, I don't really think that was a great win for them. Uh, I think Anthony Richardson actually showed a little bit in the passing game, but he doesn't scare me as a quarterback. Um, you know, like I said, I just think there's a lot of limitations. If I had to choose one and you had to just twist my arm behind my back and tell me I had to choose somebody – it would have to be Florida right now. But, I mean, if Syracuse had a healthier Schrader, I, I would definitely choose that that could be a harder game. James, the the beautiful coming off the block, I know the name of the play, and for some reason it's left in my mind, but our fullback comes off of a block. Spotted two wide bananas is what, is what they made is, – is what Westbrook made it popular. Did you ever yourself have that play at Florida State where you came off a block and caught a pass from a QB. Um, yeah, actually, um, if you go and you look at Florida State versus uh, Miami two um, in the Orange Bowl in two thousand three, he ends up th- Chris Rick throws it to Matt Hines the tight end <clears throat> because, but I'm the first read. Luckily, he was in there. I was a little mad because you're if I'm open, you're supposed to throw me the ball. Like that's how this works. But I also um against North Carolina State um my sophomore year, same play. Go up, you 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 go up there. If, if nobody comes, you really just give a pause. One thousand one, one thousand two. Make them feel you're in the pass game. Slow delay, quick quick dump off. You um kind of hit the angle. But when I saw him do it, I was like, all right. Well, he, the first I critiqued him because that's my job. I, I feel like we got to get better. He got stalled. On the um, on the ISO, he didn't run his feet, but I'm like, well, cool. They're anticipating this play action off of it, so hit the play action. The running back sold it, did what he was supposed to do. Here, pretend to block, dumped off, perfect catch. Um, uh, Big Pad Chad got one of those too, I believe, in the national championship. It's a staple. It's an easy. It's a great way to get the fullback in, involved. And I just – I really like DJ Lund- DJ Lund- – if I want DJ Lundy's people. I need your people to reach out for you. Give you we, – we will work something out because I just really like the way you're playing this position, man. It gets me excited um, to see them give you the damn ball. I will say this. Uh, I think Florida State set a really, really good standard for four-star – uh, linebacker Blake Nicholson, who also plays tailback at his high school. I think that really sent a message to him and said, you know what, this can be you in this offense. And Mike Novell talked about it. He loves the fullback position. I think this is a situation now where all the fans were complaining about all the goal line offense being weird. And, you know, there was just a lot of different things in play calling and everything like that. But he simplified this game plan for this Miami game. And I think you really saw it. And I think it's it's kind of the fruits of the labor right now that you're understanding that Florida State is is starting to be a goal line team and a red zone offense that can be dangerous if it allows it. And it doesn't get cute with everything. Chip, there there was this particular wide receiver only had two catches in the game for 22 yards. But he made one specific catch that 
in my opinion, was a difficult catch. Very strong hands had to had to happen um, for him to, to hold on to this ball. But Johnny Wilson, I'm sure you know which pass play I'm talking about where he caught it, where he's going out of bounds. But what type of focus – and is it more impressive from the, the standpoint of the receiver catching it? Or was it more impressive that J-Trav put that ball, I mean, right on the money – where no one else could get to it, in your opinion, it's it's impressive on uh, on both ends, both on, from the quarterback and the receiver. You know, the receiver making sure he looks the ball in and make sure he stays inbound. And Jay Trav, you know, that's just practice, 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 practice. Uh, you, to know exactly what spots to put the ball in when the DB is playing up close or playing off I will ask this too and I know Chip is a big fan of of CJ Campbell and I I know that Chris is also a big uh, fan of Rodney Hill Um, you're seeing that CJ Campbell is getting a little bit more expanded role as he came through his injury coming off that Georgia Tech game where he scored his first touchdown turned over scored against Miami and now he's appeared in two games this season you see Rodney Hill has appeared three games this season. His last game was against Georgia Tech. And you know about the redshirt rule with the four games. Uh, you're being able to go there. Does that allow C.J. Campbell to come in and step in as that kind of role in the fourth running back in that four-headed, five-headed monster type deal instead of burning Rodney Hill's redshirt? Do you think that really helps in that regard, or do you think it really doesn't matter and, and you know it's just going to have to play itself out as it goes? Well, I think I think they're wanting you know Rodney's last game to probably be the Louisiana Lafayette, and then let him watch the rest of the year while CJ can possibly get mop up duty in these last three games also. But uh, I look for both of them to play in the Louisiana Lafayette. I, my personal opinion, I would think that you definitely have to save Rodney Hill's red shirt. You you don't want to lose that. Um, and, and the young man's had, like, like I said, to, when he ran against Georgia Tech, that he is very similar in running style to to Trey Benson, in my opinion. He's not nearly the size yet, but man, he runs extremely hard. What James talks about all the time, driving your feet. That kid never stops. I mean, his feet are always moving. He is always pushing forward. I mean, I'm extremely excited. Like. Guys, I want to win nine or ten games this year, you know, with a bowl win being ten. But I'm so excited to see next year, to see the Rodney Hills, to see the uh, I.O. Uh, I don't want to say his last name wrong, but Toa Face or how do you say his last name? But And, and then in um, will we see – here's my question. Do you all think we see Aaron Hester at all next year? It's hard to say because you've got Patrick Payton, who I think you've got a superstar on your hands with that. Um, I I think you kind of see where that goes, and you kind of, you know, I I think he's still going to be a rotational piece if he gains a little bit more weight. But I just don't – there's so much talent there on the defensive end spot that I really don't know where you put him. I mean, that's – I even think George Wilson can be a a good guy, but, I mean, he's got to develop and get, get more weight. 
Byron Turner, another guy. I mean, I think there's some guys on this team that really haven't got their opportunities yet. Uh, it's just because that defensive end room is just so talented right now that you're trying to find pieces and you're trying to find guys to come in in situations and sub packages. I think that's that's kind of important to kind of relay there. James, let's let's say that we – I don't even know what Lundy is right now. Is he a sophomore? I believe he's a sophomore. Well, let's say that we lose Lundy um, – even not next year, even the year after, let's say that he goes on. Who do we pull in as a fullback? Seeing how Mike loves fullbacks, and you see that we utilize a fullback finally, who is that guy? Because I have one in mind. I'm just wondering what y'all – well, James, what your thought is on who you think would be a good fit. Um, When you look at this, I guess on the team, I really don't Um, oh, – I mean, uh, not OJ. OJ Grad, even though I like his number. Um, but I think what you got to do is this. It, it, a fullback is nothing more than an undersized tight end. So, like, go get you – like, in the – this is what I would be doing if I were Florida State. I'm recruiting my guys um, – a boy from the from, – um, I can't even think from, um, from Long Beach. Our big, our big tight end, the Cali boy. I'm getting my 6'6 guy. I'm getting my tall guy. I'm going to get my, my big body that looks like a left tackle um, dang near. And then I'm going to get my Wyatt Rector type guy, maybe put a little bit more weight on the wire. I don't think Wyatt could play the fullback position. Um, he's just not thick enough for like – he was a quarterback, so I'm not knocking him. I'm just saying at a certain point you got to be a little tougher than that. But I think you you can find one of those guys in high school. Um, I think, to be honest with you, the best utility player you probably have – is the young man from I believe it's from South Carolina um, or North Carolina the um, the tight end that we just brought in in this class he's not as tall but um that's who I that's what I would do but um so that you don't have to go away from it and you don't have to take away practice time it's literally just a piece of your offense that is just a nice that's a nice wrinkle you can run multiple sets with it but I really think if it were me so and, and we're bringing in more linebackers. I would try to figure out how to make DJ Lundy more of that hybrid tight end now because it's effective. He can catch. He's explosive enough to be able to get you, you know, some good yardage when you need it. Um, he's obviously pretty good running his feet, uh, running his feet. Like, just give him more reps. I think that's something that when we get into these short yardage situations, not just goal line, we get cute on short yardage too. We don't have to get as cute anymore. And with and when just listening to Nick Saban a few weeks ago talk about what LSU – not LSU, what does he talk about what Tennessee did to him when they put a fullback in the backfield and they lined up in under center and the guys didn't know what to do. It's cool to spread them out, but I think it's also cool to go punch people in the mouth now. Absolutely. Taylor, I got a question. Hmm? What do you think about my punt prediction? I like it. Uh, I think that was kind of the star of the show. I mean – you, you punch twice inside the five at that point. You're, you're recovering two inside the three. And you force Miami to really get uncomfortable uh, back there. And you you force them to punt it away to a guy in Micah Pittman who returns and is, and is an efficient punt returner. Um, unfortunately, I think Miami had a 35-yard punt there on the right sideline that didn't go very far. Mm -hmm. um, so, like I said, Florida State was just toying with them, playing field position. And you, you saw that. And – 
really, when you look at it, I mean, Florida State didn't really have to do a whole lot. They didn't have to punt. I mean, they were at the 40 when they punted twice. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just kind of a situation where I thought Florida State played its cards very well in this. Yeah, I, I said a minimum of two and a maximum of four. They punted three times. Um, I had a I had a fan write me and said I should have that he should have took my predictions and uh, bet the house on them. As far as he said, there was one of these websites. I don't know if it's FanDuel or or which one, but you could actually bet on how many times a team was going to punt in a game. And he could. I went to the casino with that. That would be very impressive. Uh, yeah, you guys like to waste. He was like, I have no idea how you came up with us punting from two to four times and it be three. But he said uh, that that if I have any more predictions like that, and I, I'm, I'm as confident as I was in this one, so please let him know. Look, I gave I, – I can't sit here and say I blame you three for me giving them 17 points because y'all had me convinced that they were going to score 17 points. Like, all three of y'all picked 17 points. I'm like, damn. I'm not going to say the crazy uh, number that I was going to say. Oh, you said 13. Yeah, me and James said 17. So, yeah. Well, y'all gave them way more than I did. Because I am I literally thought I had two score predictions in mind. The first one was with Tyler Van Dyke playing, which was the score prediction I threw out. I thought they'd score 17 points if he played. The other score prediction was he didn't play at all. And it was uh, 44 to 6 or 9. I don't remember which one I picked. I wrote it down somewhere. But much less than 17 points, I should add. Um, but I had a fan. We put out a score prediction thing every week. I don't know how the hell this guy did it. I don't know if he was drunk when he did it or if he really thought this out. But he said the score was going to be 45 to 3. And he picked it right on the money. I don't know how he did it. Uh, I don't know if it was a great guess or if he like literally just analyzed the hell out of both teams and said this is going to be the score. But either way, he got it right. What we're going to be doing Thursday is obviously talking about this Syracuse game. We're obviously going to get into depth about hopefully we know more about Schrader, whether he's going to play or not. I highly doubt we know for sure because they're not going to release that information. Um but I, I will ask this question because, you know, Taylor talked about it a little bit, but the elephant in the room is definitely Sam McCall's post today. Sam McCall posted on Twitter or Instagram one that he was going to be entering the transfer portal at the end of the season. And then he came back and corrected it with he made this decision out of emotion. Um. I want to know what y'all's thoughts are. Do you feel like, it's very, you know, probable that he will end up checking out and transferring. Or do you think the coach and staff or whomever it was, it has to be the coach and staff, clarified and got him straight to where he feels more comfortable now? What are y'all's thoughts on that? I'll be pretty brief on this because I know we don't have a lot of time, but uh, just young kids had a big role in high school, kind of going to a situation where you're not really having a huge role right now as a true freshman. I think you just have to kind of take a step back, understand the emotions kind of come with, with that as well. And I uh, just think that this is a guy that's going to be special for Florida State if he decides to stay and definitely wishing the best whatever he decides to do. Yeah, we've got – Honestly, I can tell you 
is James and I can probably be thankful that social media wasn't around when we were playing college ball. But um, it's just a kid that went from being a big fish in a little pond to now he's a, you know, I'm still going to call him a big fish because he, you get a scholarship to Florida State, you're you're not a so-so player. Um, it's just my advice to him, and I know James probably told him, just keep grinding. You know, I hope he comes back because I believe that he could be a very, very big asset for us. I, mean, I think he's good. I mean, the reality is, this is how it happens. You got, you're going to have to commit somewhere, and you're going to have to out earn somebody. So that's basically what it is. But I know as a freshman, we're taught we're in a microwave society. Um, it's always been like this, though. And I think fans got to step back and stop bashing these kids. I played with a ton of guys who transferred. I was, I was explaining to people about this guy named Thomas Clayton, who ended up going to the San Francisco 49ers. He, he transferred from Florida State to um, Kansas State. Um, I didn't even know if you could do the transfer portal. All this is doing is, is making you aware of what's going on. It's us, the consumer, that's making this weirder than what it really is. And we're getting in kids' ears. And what he has to do is tune everybody out and realize that nobody can go through this process but him. I hope the best for him. I hope he gets some wise counsel. But I would love to see him stick it out, grind, and do what's best. But at the end of the day, he's got to do what's best for him. You don't go to Florida State to, like, become a road Scholar, except for Myron. You go there to go to the NFL. You can't go to the NFL if you're not playing. But you can't go there also if you don't want to work hard. So. Absolutely. Well, guys, I appreciate everybody coming on again. We'll be back Thursday night. Y'all hit me up and let me know what night. Uh, Y'all can do a Twitter space. Um, I've got some Twitter fans that are asking for us to please do one again. They would love to ask all of us some questions. So uh, I think they enjoy being able to interact with us talking, not just a message or a question in that form. So y'all let me know. Hit me up when we can do one, and uh, I'll update all the fans when we can do one. If y'all don't mind falling off, I got three minutes to finish and um, appreciate y'all. It's a great weekend. Knowles handled business with the Miami candy canes. So y'all have a good one. First off, everybody that's commented, uh, don't worry about me. Uh, Nothing, no no one or, or any comments harmed me. Um, it, it mainly was some idiots that might've been drunk, might not have been, they might just be idiots. They made death threats toward me. It's not, it's not the end of the world. It's not a big deal. Um, it is what it is. Um, I love each and every one of you too. I appreciate all the prayers for protection. Um, God's got me, my family's got me and I do a pretty good job of taking care of myself as well, but I do appreciate the support and I do love each and every one of you. I appreciate all of the love that y'all sent over messaging. I appreciate all the love that you're sending right now. Um, But Florida State ultimately goes down to Doak South, handles Miami. Uh, The Candy Canes couldn't handle um, the Seminoles. They just couldn't do it. Um, They they certainly feared the spear. Uh, We certainly did our job. Mike Norvell and staff did a great job uh, play calling that game. It didn't really take much to, to win. Um, it's pretty vanilla. We, we were able to pretty much do whatever we wanted to. And that's what you want to see with this Florida state team and moving forward. Um, we're doing hopefully even better. Uh, hopefully we're in the college football playoffs next year. And this year is just the start of it. Everyone have a good one. 
Uh, Chris Frazier, the host of Spread by Sideline Sports Network. Love each and every one of you, and go Noles.